0: The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath.
1: Thank you for listening to the show. That brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. Well, I am absolutely delighted to be joined today by Associate Professor, Dr Sarah Irving Stonebreaker, who is an Australian-based academic focusing on the history of Britain and the colonial world, particularly the intersection of religion, science and politics. Sarah is the author of the award-winning Natural Science and the Origins of the British Empire, and she's got a very exciting upcoming book, Priests of History, Engaging with the Past in an Ahistoric Age. Sarah, we've heard more of your fascinating story of coming to faith, sort of largely through some of the new atheists and things like that in, in the other show that I present, Unapologetic. But this is the C.S. Lewis podcast, so we want to talk about C.S. Lewis. So I guess let's go right back to the beginning. What was your first encounter with C.S. Lewis? Well, actually,
2: even though I grew up in a non-Christian home, my first encounter with C.S. Lewis is when I read The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, And as a child, it was the magician's nephew that really, that I remember more than any of the others There's something about being in that haunting kind of world, that sort of, yeah, purgatory as it were, the world with all the kind of the pools of water with all the possibilities of different worlds. That image remained with me. Um, But yeah, that's where I first encountered C.S. Lewis actually as a child.
1: And did you have any inclination that he was a Christian and there were Christian themes in there? Or were you just enjoying it as a piece of fiction?
2: No, I think I was just enjoying it um, as a piece of fiction. I did read them when I was when I was quite young, and I think probably the fact that I wasn't um, in a you know in the context of a church or anything meant that I just I just read the books as yeah as a sort of seven or eight year old would read them.
1: And then so you went from atheism to kind of agnosticism to then towards Christianity. And I suppose between your agnosticism and Christianity, a friend of yours gave you a copy of Mere Christianity. I mean, what were your initial thoughts about this book? And I, I suppose, did you equate the C.S. Lewis of your childhood with this apologist writing Mere Christianity? There was a sense in which when I opened Mere Christianity, Lewis's
2: persona is so, um is so sort of, not only so learned and, and sort of sensible, but also so humble. Um And it, that there was a kind of continuity there. It was very much the same kind of, the tenderness that he had for the children in the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the willingness to kind of engage with, with their world and the kinds of, the sort of, the questions that they had and their kind of individual foibles, that this I think, yeah, it was it was clear that that was the same was the same author who was now speaking to me as an adult, um, and now speaking about far obviously you know far more intellectual questions and deeper questions. Um, and I I remember really being struck by the way that in near Christianity, um, Lewis is able to explain, and he still you, you know he still draws upon the metaphor so often, wasn't he? And so often, you know, when he does that, he does it in a way that manages to kind of encapsulate something which is so complex and yet to do it um, with with such an ability to kind of communicate this to somebody who isn't actually yet a Christian. Um, as I remember in particular when I read Mere Christianity that the there's a chapter on hope, which I think was probably one of the ones which, provoked my thought the most. Um, because there's a line in there's a line in that chapter in which he talks about the idea that, you know, if we have these so he's actually talking it's a chapter about hope, but he's actually talking about heaven and the ways in which people, even adults, kind of yearn for heaven. And I think this this particularly appealed to me because as somebody who had Ascribed to secular humanism, really on the basis that they, that they, year, like, that I yearned for a, the, the good society, the perfect, you know, the perfectibility of man, the good society, that I, what Lewis identified was that actually I was yearning for heaven. And what he did in that chapter that really gave me pause for thought was that he then, re- you know, revealed in a few short pages the fact that this desire that I had for the good society was actually. A kind of a yearning which was a transcendent longing. It was something that no particular utopia as as I might imagine it or as any particular you know, earthly political group might imagine it, is ever actually going to fulfill this. And moreover, that the longing itself is a pointer to God. And there's this beautiful line um, that I remember from the last couple of pages in that chapter, which is actually, you know, really well known, but it's a line about the fact that if we Find in ourselves this kind of yearning, um, a longing, desire that nothing in this life, nothing in this world, can satisfy. We can only conclude that, in fact, we were made for another world. And I, I think that when I was reading me Christianity as somebody who was you know on this journey from atheism through agnosticism to Christianity, this kind of idea that 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 yearning that I had is something that ultimately is is a yearning for God, is probably one of the most um, profound influences in that journey.
1: So would you say then that Lewis played an important part in your faith journey, in your, in your moving from agnosticism towards faith in, in God? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was really, to be honest,
2: I mean, apart from reading some sermons and reading some theology but lewis was the person that i turned to to make sense of the kinds of questions that i had about well i mean really about kind of justice um in my faith story which um talked about with you um in another episode but in my faith story this kind of question about whether or not human life is inherently valuable and indeed whether or not every human being is of equal moral worth was profoundly important to me. That has such a bearing upon or questions of whether there is a natural law and justice. And so actually Lewis was who I've read who actually spoke very directly and very sensibly about that particular question because really new Christianity opens with this question about um, what is really about natural law, right? About this kind of desire it built in all of us that we have for a sense of justice, that there is actually a kind of, that there is a light and a role. So it was to Lewis, I it was Lewis to whom I turned for those kind of really important questions for me.
1: We've talked about your wonderful book, Priests of History, on that unapologetic show. But in that book, you quote C.S. Lewis as saying, I, I think it's from On the Reading of Old Books, um, from his collection of essays, God in the Dock*," And you say, if you join at 11 o'clock a conversation which began at eight you will often not see the real bearing of what is said what do you think he meant by this and why is that important to you as a historian yes oh this is I love that quotation because it in many ways it encapsulates I
2: think what historians particularly intellectual historians like me so historians of ideas historians of of the long conversation as it were are really trying to do um I think you know for Lewis for all of his, incredibly um rich learning and his own interest in and learning about the past he was particularly um, keen to make people aware that that actually there have been long discussions on some of the most profound questions that humans grappled with and i think in many ways for me as a historian again i mean all these decades later and yet it's the same it's the same thing like when i um when i for example have seminars with my undergraduate students today, and we are wrestling with particular questions about well, for example, um, in a seminar on the history of political thought, and we're wrestling with questions about we're looking at the 18th century and this question about well, who is capable of of self governance? And we might read a great, like we'll read Mary Wollstonecraft, um, and then it's clear to them, and it's clear to me that actually this is something that we well, and we now take for granted, because for over a century, Australians and people in the Anglophone world um, have had women have had the right to vote. But actually, there's a long conversation here about what what actually makes a political subject, who is worthy, who is able, capable of, being, um, of governing themselves. And actually, one of the things that as a historian, I, I get so excited about when I discuss this w- with my students, because they're now part of, when they learn about history, they're actually Able to realize that these kind of discussions have been going on since the ancient world, and there have been different responses. Like goodness, you know, Plato in the Republic and Aristotle had various different responses to very similar questions about about the nature of the human being and who is capable of participating in politics and so forth. And so, even the questions that we think that even things that we take for granted today, or questions that we wrestle with today, are actually part of an incredibly long conversation.
0: Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection, and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource ...that's perfect for the Easter season... ...featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled... ...Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return... ...is only available to friends like you... ...as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical... ...to help keep resources and podcasts... ...like Ask Inti Write Anything... ...and Unbelievable, Going Strong... ...because this ministry is completely funded... ...by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today... And make sure to download your copy of Jesus's Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash CS Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash CS Lewis. Thank you.
1: You obviously, like Lewis, are quite a big fan of old books. um, And I guess a lot of those old books might potentially be CS Lewis. But what are some of those other great books and how would you recommend that we get into them if we're like a little bit reticent or scared of perhaps the archaic language or or things like that? Yeah. Well, the thing about
2: um, great books, I suppose, is that as as Lewis points out, there's a way in which they're often, I mean, one of the reasons that they have been read and reread through the generations is that they're capable of speaking to kind of ever-present questions and that they're able to to do so in a way that really should render them actually less than less daunting than perhaps really they are um, but I guess the other thing I would say about about the, the sort of the great books quote unquote is that um, actually there are there are books and texts which are part of this long conversation which we haven't always considered great which are in fact very much worth reading as well um, and which like other books are, are really accessible um, but not all of them are. So, one example is that you know when we often when we study, say, the abolition of slavery in the British Empire, we, we should read. There's you know great speeches by William Wilberforce. There's the work of Thomas Clarkson. These are kind of considered great books. Um, but there are also slave narratives as well, which played an incredible, which are just incredibly um, important historically because they gave the reading public in Britain a kind of sense of what. it, was actually like to be a slave. Um, And so the narrative, for example, of Mary Prince, who was um, a slave, or Ulida Equiano, that one's far better known. um, These are kind of texts as well, which actually we can read, um, which aren't always considered sort of great books, quote unquote, but are nonetheless um, really worth reading.
1: Well, I guess, um, you know, you sort of encountered Lewis as a great apologist through mere Christianity. He obviously appealed to people's minds, but he did also appeal to their imagination. Obviously, your first encounter with Lewis was through his imaginative works. I mean, why do you think imagination was so important to Lewis? And, And why is that still really important for us today? I think one of the things that is quite remarkable about Lewis's work.
2: And I I, you know, I say this as somebody who, of course, first encountered him in the Chronicles of Narnia in that most imaginative of works, and then in that most rational of works in many ways in mere Christianity. And I think in many ways, one of the things that is so remarkable about Lewis, as a thinker, is that he is able to use the imagination in such a way that invites us into an understanding of it really it sort of incredibly profound um, ideas that kind of exist on the at the kind of at the limits of language in many ways. Um, I mean, you know, there's that in that very well known scene um, in which Aslan is kind of speaking the creation into being. That is such a. I mean. Again, I I read that in an age when I didn't actually I didn't know what what it was really about, but there's a sense there I think in which that the picture that Lewis is able to paint with the imagination is able to give people a sense of beauty which um, in many ways can't actually be articulated um, or even reduced to language, and that's part of Lewis's genius I think that he uses imagination in such a way that um, that when we encounter these ideas in our own imagination, they're not actually, our experience isn't reducible to language. Um, and, in, and I think as somebody who's then become a Christian, I think I'm able to, now I kind of recognize that what's so think, beautiful about that is that in dealing with the imagination in such a way and That points us beyond the limits of language. He is, in fact, pointing us to the fact that um, any kind of wrestling with God in His holiness, His sacredness, His divinity—if that goes beyond, you know—it's it is ineffable. It is beyond the limits of language. And so Lewis is able to do that because he has such command over language, ironically, and yet he's able to use imagination in such a way that points beyond itself.
1: Sarah this may be like asking you to pick your favorite child but do you have a favorite Uh, quotation a favorite book a favorite idea of Lewis
2: uh at the end of the day I got I think yeah I'll I'll go for the one about about reading the old books um because I think the fact that Lewis said that in in sort of mid in mid 20th century in the mid 20th century that he saw in the mid 20th century the kind of the need for people to actually engage with the kind of the riches of intellectual history and the riches of, of ideas and of the imagination and of, um, of culture is, is so, um, he has a kind of foresight there that I, as I think very few other thinkers did. And I think I'll, I'll settle for that one because I find myself as a as a Christian today and as a historian today trying to communicate True. to you know to the rest of um, society in a way why it's important, like why the past matters and why it is important to read the old books and why even though our culture tells us that really the only thing that is particularly, you know, the only thing that really matters is this kind of relentless eternal present, the fact that Lewis was able to do that um, in a very prophetic way, in the mid
1: 20th century, um, means that it's got to be my favourite quote. Sarah, why do you think 60 years after C.S. Lewis's death, he is still relevant today? Yes, gosh, that is so. That's such an interesting question. Um,
2: I think there are, there are so many reasons. Um, I think partly because his Lewis's contribution to discussions about Christianity. And I I don't even mean apologetics as such, but it's something that is, I think, unparalleled. I mean, there are very few other authors in the 20th century. Even we we could take people who are classically understood as theologians. We could take people who are um, poets or writers. Even we might say, think about someone like G.K. Chesterton or T.S. Eliot. And yet they don't have the kind of um, ability that C.S. Lewis has, I think, of being able to speak in such a way that that captures actually not only not only adults, of course, but also children, but also a, across a kind of breadth of topics that are not only kind of in apologetics, but are actually kind of deeply theological. Um, and I have to say that in my own time since becoming a Christian, um, reading God in the Dock and also The Four Loves have been particularly um formative for me and then actually the great divorce as well i mean there's a kind of there's a breadth that lewis has and the and a, an ability i think to kind of speak in a way that um is is actually is proving to be timeless in a way that even other great some of the other kind of great thinkers um in this field in the 20th century um perhaps rival him but perhaps not don't actually have that that ability that Lewis did
1: Sarah thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to have you with us today oh thank you so much for having me this is a lot of fun thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me Ruth Jackson discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com where you can also find lots of great articles resources and podcasts and do register there for the chance to win a free book that's premierunbelievable.com If you enjoy listening to the CS Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.